tuning in to Beats Per Minute Podcast, where hip-hop, health, and matters of the heart are in sync. I am your host, Miss Thursday, and on today's episode, I am chilling live at the virtual barbecue with my brother, fellow Trenton, New Jersey native, member of the legendary Poor Righteous Teachers, creator of the Put It In There barbecue seasoning and sauce, Culture Freedom is in the house, y'all. What's up, my people? Peace and blessings. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And also joining in the conversation is my VA brother, writer for rockthebells.com, host of the foundation on YouTube, hip hop historian, and original member of the Two Deaf Crew, Jay Kwan. <laughs> peace. Thank you for having me. Thank peace. What's going on, fellas? How are y'all? It's all good, man. Just, you know, just taking it all in. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Everything is good. Everything is good. One day at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to thank you guys for um, just being with me today. I want to welcome you to Beats Per Minute Podcast, first off. And um, just really want to tell you how grateful and thankful I am that you, um, you know, decided to join me today, that you're giving up your time. Um, just to, you know, have this conversation with me. You know, Chuck D talks a lot about consuming. And um, I thought that it would be a great idea to talk with you both about not just what we consume, you know, as far as music, as far as what we see, but also what we eat. Um, Because that plays such a big part in the Black community. You know, um, we're in the Spring season is the time of year where we start having our barbecues and cookouts and whatnot. And, you know, that always to me was just, um, you know, it makes me miss being home, being with family, being with friends, you know, seeing the kids play, seeing people playing spades and all that. So I'm looking forward to doing those things. But in the midst of it, we are getting older and we have to watch what we eat and all that fun stuff. And so trying to figure that all out. So before we really dig into it, I'm going to start with culture. Um, Culture, you know, people know you from PRT, as we like to call it from home, (laughs) but the Poor Righteous Teachers, you also have created some dynamic, you know, music through your solo projects, some fantastic collabs with the late, great NEF 150, um, and they may not know that you not only, you know, cook up stuff in the lab, but you also be doing some burning in the kitchen, you know, as the hip hop chef. Talk to people how you made that transition. And um, I know we've talked, you know, in the past about, you know, what kind of got you into cooking, but just share with the people, you know, how you made that transition. Well, first off, I gained my love for cooking from my mother who was uh, just an awesome cook herself. Like most of us, you know, we grew up eating at home. I mean, we didn't always go out to eat to different restaurants. And, you know, we wasn't allowed to consume a lot of fast food and things like that. So, you know, uh, our kitchen was our medicine cabinet. 
so mm -hmm. to speak, you know, and uh, that's how we grew. That's how we, you know, uh, developed our palate. But in we knew what to eat, what not to eat uh, from home. You know, it was commonplace for us to to go over each other's house and mom would be cooking something in the kitchen. And one of the first things you encountered when you walked in was the, the fragrance of, you know, a home cooked meal or something like that. So I learned my, my passion, my love for cooking from my mother. And, you know, um, you know, as some of you might not know, she she passed at a very young age. And I was still a teenager when it happened. So one of the things was I tried to cook some of the favorite meals that she would cook for us. And uh, it just went from there. The kitchen was the place that I felt most connected to her. Mm. You know, so whenever I was in there doing my thing, cooking and all of that, that's where I felt the, the, the strongest connection to her because she was such an awesome cook. Mm. Um as time progressed between shows and things like that, you know, um, I would get a, a, a just a, a job at a, a local eatery or something like that to uh, just develop my skills. I, you know, I wanted to uh, learn more. So I started to buy books and things like that and study them on different cuisine, uh, different techniques, um, how to not only uh, make the food taste good, but how to make it look good um different styles of cooking uh things like that and eventually uh, i landed a a gig at a a place that was opening uh in our town called katmandu mm -hmm. <laughs> and they brought me into there and i kind of worked my way up and then worked my way out at the same time <laughs> you know as so many young people do you know you you learn you know through uh you know the hard way and, and the good way, so to speak, you know, and uh, one of the hard things I learned was, you know, you can't get too big for your bridges, you know, and uh, I, I went on to uh, work at some other hotels around and some other places, like I said, in between shows and stuff like that. Then I would cook for the group, you know, shy, mm. uh, wise sometimes, you know, different type of cookies and things like that. And, you know, we, we, we always love to eat. Everybody in the, in the group loved to eat. Um, and we were all pescatarians, mm -hmm. you know, so that was a challenge as well to cook something that was good, but also something that was healthy. Um, when we met Shah, he didn't eat any meat at all. But, you know, me and Wise, we just wasn't eating any pork or anything like that. Um, as young uh, five percenters, you know, we, 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 we dealt away with that, you know, eating any pork or any swan or anything like that. And uh, then through Shahid, you know, we stopped eating, you know, just meat, period, you know. And uh, just as it went on, that's basically how it, that happened and it progressed that way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, let me ask you, Jay, because as a writer you really are one of the other people that I have just come to love reading what you write. You um, are so careful about telling the stories correctly and making sure that you're honoring um, the, you know, the artists um, and you, you bring a lot of class to your articles, you know, 
Um, Thank you. But you started out as an artist yourself and yes. you have, you know, become someone who has um, really made sure that the hip hop history is being documented. Can you talk about how you made that transition or what even made you want to start um, making sure that you were documenting this this culture? Sure. I mean, that was like, it was really a part of me um, very early on. You know, I when the first rap records came out, that's when I began to develop an interest. First time I heard uh, scratching and, and scratch mixing, probably was 81, a record that Grandmaster Flash put out. And that made me, you know, want to take that element on. And I always was a lover of music anyway. By the time I was like eight or nine, I had a record collection. And as a kid, I was always curious. So I didn't just enjoy music. I wanted to know how are they making it, you know? And I would, you know, I would look at the record cover and see who engineered it. And by the time I was 10 or 11, I knew if a record had a certain name on it. And I'm not even talking about rap records, like R&B stuff, mm -hmm. Philly International, you know, soul music. If I saw a certain name, I know it would be good music. So I was documenting things in my head from the beginning because I used I would buy every write on magazine, every anything that had to do with music, I would kind of consume it. And when I embraced being an MC and, and a DJ and later a producer, I just wanted to, I had the appetite to know, uh, you know, how these things were done. And I also had an appetite to know the history, you know, where does this come from? You know, where did it start? So, um, it's funny, I used to write for the school newspaper when I was in middle school and I would write the music charts, you know, at the same time that I was rapping because, you know, um, the people who were doing it before, I felt like they, you know, they would, they would have some misspellings in the names and the stuff wouldn't be right. And I'm like, I want to do that. So that subsided a little bit, you know, by the time my, my group got a chance to record and we, you know, had little regional, regional hit records or whatever that subsided, but always, when the internet became popular in the mid nineties, I, I felt the internet would be the next thing. Mm -hmm. I, I would not, I would not say I thought it would be as big as it is now, but I thought it would be the next, a uh, next vehicle for us. And I knew at that point, I was like, when hip hop hits the internet, it's not going to be told properly. They're going to start with the most popular people, which were probably the people who sold the most records. They're going to forget the first generation. So very early on, I learned how to, create websites and uh, things of that nature. And I was on the internet very early talking about the first generation of Bronx MCs in Harlem and Queens and in the boroughs and then, you know, the tri-states the tri uh, tri as well. Um, and then, you know, just after doing that for 20-some years, you know, some of the people I was writing about, they, they happened to see my, my writings. And then uh, the people at Rock the Bells reached out. And you know, so I write for Rock the Bells. Now I continue to do, as you mentioned, my foundation website. But like I said, the desire to, you know, growing up and hearing from my parents that, yeah, you know, rock and roll was made by people that look like us. You know, these different kinds of music was made by people that look like us. It was kind of hard to believe it back then, even though your parents are telling you when you look at MTV and you what you think as rock, you know, it don't look like us. Right. And then the older I got and I started, you know, like watching Spike Lee's Mo' Better Blues about how how we lost jazz and then looking and seeing, OK, rock was our thing, you know, and I could see the same thing happening with hip hop where we were losing the uh, the control over it. You know, so I, I wanted to get my get my say in there to say, look, th this is what it is. This is where it started. So that's really what, what the transition. Mm -hmm. So, you know, culture, we both 
far away from our hometown, but, you know, mm-hmm. still have family there, friends there, you know, still very connected. Um, do you feel like the generation coming up really even understands, like, when you guys were out, Suicide Boulevard, YZ, like, do you think that we have done enough to make sure that they even understand, like, our history and our piece of this hip hop culture, what Trenton has really put out. Cause we definitely had our own sound. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what you guys were doing, what DJ L and Plex and everybody was doing, like that was not really heard anywhere else, you know, especially with a lot of the chanting being included in the music. Do you do you feel like we're doing enough to make sure that Trenton, you know, is claiming their stake? in, you know, the hip hop culture? Uh, I believe that uh, a lot more can be done. I believe that um, just through various various resources like this uh, internet show and uh, just other um, things that uh, people can learn a lot more but I believe that Trenton has definitely made an impact. I think they kind of lumped Jersey in all together, you know, because Trenton, we tend to have a, 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 just like a major city mindset. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we don't think of ourselves as just a city within side of a state. We, we, we like, we're like a state itself. You know, that's, that was just the, the mentality. Um, but, you know, uh, definitely I think uh, we, we Brothers like Tony D, and I don't think uh, Tony D get enough credit, you know, for the production that he did in that area, working with like Suicide, Us, Boulevard, Mossy, Too Cool Posse, YZ, uh, so many others um, that went out and made a mark. You know, YZ was a part of that 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 thing, even though he wasn't from Trenton. You know, the production came from in and around that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, like the brother was saying, you know, I don't think there was too much documentation taking place. We was just doing it. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, you know, we didn't have, uh, that writer like, you know, to say, okay, man, this is fantastic. This is what's taking place. This is awesome. We knew it was something great happening. We just didn't realize at the time how great it was going to be. I don't think a lot of people knew. I mean, because right now they're still getting together the hip hop museum in the Bronx in, you know, in New York. I mean, which probably should have been in effect, you know. Um, so we were recently inducted into the uh, hip hop, the National Hip Hop Museum in Washington, D.C. last year. So, you know, people seeing that and they're, they're learning a lot more about the history. Um, but let me not even move any further without acknowledging DJ Ready Red, uh, which happens to be your older brother and the impact that he had on the city. We can't forget that. Um, And the fact that he was one of the first to move out, him and the rest of the the ghetto boys, uh, when they moved to Texas and was doing their thing. I think it's just that it was so much going on, like I said, that we didn't really know. Like, I'm still gathering things now, you know, books, magazine clippings and stuff like that, because it was just our culture. 
right. when we was doing it. It was just something that we we grew into and we just grew up around. And I don't think in the moment we really knew what was happening. You right. know, um, I think back to going to the skating ring and, and your brother DJ in there, the impact that he had on me. Like, you know, that's where I heard a lot of the dope hip hop music when he was there playing every every uh Saturday or Sunday and how much of a landmark that was and it should have been preserved, you know, uh for for years to come. I just think nobody really really understood like what was happening. Right. We know it, it was a part, we were being a part of something dope, but I don't like the brother here. Maybe we should have had a writer like him <laughs> who was around, you know, documenting everything and like, wow, this is dope. I'm, you know, but it, it wasn't too much of that, you know, and, but I believe that um, people do know, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I meet folks on the internet all the time and say, oh man, you know, my dad told me about you and your group and other groups and, you know, and they, they're playing the material, um, you know, this brother here, uh, Jake Kwan, is, he just was ahead of his time. He was thinking ahead, like he said, when the whole internet broke. He was already involved doing stuff like that. I reluctantly got on the internet, <laughs> you know, because it was like, you know, I was all about analog doing this and doing that, just even recording digitally, you know, people from my school, a lot of us was like, nah, we like a two inch tape. We going right. to do this. No, we like the machines. We like filling the machines and all of that. We like, you know, using the drum machines and now folks are making beats on the computers and all of that, it was just like something we heard about, but then one day we woke up and then just boom, mm-hmm. it was here. So I think a lot of that music from that era, a lot of the things that was going on during that time, it's being rediscovered. You know, knowledge has been increased and the internet is part of that. Mm-hmm. So anything you wanna know, you wanna find out, you know, if you wanna educate yourself on it, is there, you know, and it's like, uh, I mean, sometimes it, it, you know, I'm surprised. Like, wow, we, we did what? We was doing what? You know, because we was just doing it. Like it, so it's just, uh, it's surreal in a way. Yeah. You know, when I think about it, because I was like, wow, you know, I was pretty fresh. <laughs> you know, like using words like that, but <laughs> you just didn't, you didn't think about it. You know, you didn't think about it. You know, like filming yourself. Yeah. Because it was just right. It's, it was just who you were. Yeah. Everybody else was looking like from Europe and around the world. They were looking at us like that. Mm-hmm. But we were just looking at like, yo, you know, what's going on? But now we know. Mm-hmm. Now we get it. our parents didn't even know what was going on. You know, because because the culture, we was it was like, oh, they're thugs, they're this. They're, they're vandalizing the place with graffiti, you know. My art teacher was like, you know, this is a fad. This is not going to last. And I'm like, you know, he lost me that day, <laughs> you know, because I was like, I'm in art class and you keep telling me this. You know, I didn't want to hear it. But, you know, and I just think that I don't think anybody really knew the impact that it would have because I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday and they was like, well, there's a lot of European historians when it comes to hip hop and all that. And how is that so? Do you think they're culture vultures and all that? And I was like, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. 
I said, because, you know, somebody has to document it. And, and, you know, people are now starting to wake up to the opportunities that mm -hmm. are there because of it, you know, and they're telling their stories. You know, I, I still really, we haven't documented our story yet, you know, so because a lot of people just didn't know. We just, we just didn't know. But I believe that uh, what we've done is there and if they want to know, they can. You know what I mean? And like he said, right now, some of the kids in this generation, they're, you know, they're rediscovering or they're just looking at maybe when when they were young, mm -hmm. you know, because life to them began when they were a child. It's not what happened before me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we, we, we probably grew up listening to our parents' music, mm -hmm. you know, and then it became our music. Mm -hmm. And just like for my son, I played, you know, Public Enemy, Tribe Called Quest. I played all these songs for him. He's only 24, but he know it because I played it in the car with him and him and my daughter as they were coming up. And it's just like, how do we know about, you know, the stylistics and all these other groups that we were sampling and listening to is because our parents turned it on, turned them on to it. So I just think, uh, you know, it's our job to keep our culture alive in some kind of way, you know, and somebody has to be, it's the joke that I tell when I get in the car and I put on a seatbelt, they're like, what are you putting your seatbelt on for? And I say, well, somebody got to be alive to tell what happened, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's just that mind state. Somebody has to be watching. Somebody has to document it because everybody's, a lot of people are just playing their role, playing their part, you know, so yeah that's how I, it took uh, you you definitely make a long story longer that's, <laughs> that's and that's, that's pretty much I, how i see i it. really wanted to talk to both y'all because just from our previous conversations you guys remind me of each other in, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways the way that y'all mm -hmm. communicate and different things and also something else that i found that y'all had in common is um rapper's delight so okay. I thought it was funny. I was, you know, you know, trying to trying to be a journalist and whatnot and do my research and whatnot, watching mm -hmm. older, you know, um, interviews. And so, you know, Jaquan, you have the um, on the foundation. You did a interview talking about the rapper's light first time you heard it. That whole story with you and your mom, which I thought was amazing because you have not only y'all having the conversation about, you know, the, um, how you was able to get the record or trying to get mm -hmm. the record, but right. you also brought in some animation and right. culture. Right. He has this whole thing that I'm hoping he's going to start back soon with is chef Kwan. Wait, wait, what's the, what's the, you got chef Chang, yeah. uh, Francois, <laughs> uh, Larry from the Valley. Yes. A few. There's a few, few characters, <laughs> but talk to talk to the people about how important rappers delight was because I think sometimes we you know like that's a a song you're gonna hear at the barbecue, you know, and we just take for granted we hear it so much. But for people coming from that generation and the first time you actually ever like how important was that for for us? Well, 
that was the big bang. Now, when I say that, you know, keep in mind, you know, I'm not a New Yorker. And that's a, you know, me being a, a respected historian and respected by a lot of not only New Yorkers, but, you know, the Bronx crowd is, New York is hard anyway. It's a hard crowd to please. But the Bronx, they're very hard crowd to please. And I've been, uh, I've been able to, to garner their respect because they know that my curiosity comes from a genuine place. So when I talk about rappers that like, you know, a lot of Bronx cats and New Yorkers in general, they, they didn't like the record. Well, what I didn't know at the time, being a nine-year-old in Virginia, was that, yeah, I thought that was the first time something like that had been done. I had no idea I'm not in New York. So the genius of that record and the genius of Sylvia Robinson, who, you know, despite her reputation as a business person, she was, she had the wherewithal to hear this music on the street, hear her sons playing it and say, hey, look, this can be marketed. And Bobby Robinson and some other early record label um, owners, independent record label owners, they said this can be marketed. And it was genius because they wrapped off of, of Good Times by Chic, which had been a hit like four months early. Mm -hmm. So the the genius of Rappers Delight, see in 1979, there were probably 20 rap records. A lot of people don't know that was a lot of, you know, Lady B in Philly had a rap record. Exactly. Uh, Master Flash and the Furious Five had a record. The Funky Four had a record. There was a lot of fly by night. Some of it was like almost like parodies, like people were really almost making fun of rap. Mm -hmm. There were 20, 20 or so rap. And then you had, of course, Kingston III by the Fatback Band, which predates Rapper's Delight by a couple months. But the thing that was special about Rapper's Delight, despite what people think about, you know, the Street Hill Gang and them not being, you know, them being from Inglewood, New Jersey, a record like Super Rapping by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, technically a better record. Mm -hmm. The MCs uh, are more skilled in what they did, and you know, and, and the guys in the Sugar Hill Gang will readily admit that. But there's a reason why my 20 year old and my 27 year old know every word to Rapper's Delight, and it's not just because I played it all the time. It was the more catchy record. So where where Flash and, and the Furious are really you know, passing the mic, and, and as Mel said, making five MCs sound like one. They were rapping over a beat that was a little more unfamiliar to people. They rapped over Seven Minutes of Funk, which is a street Bronx break beat. Mm -hmm. But here in Virginia, we didn't. The, the funny thing, the group that made that record, the whole Don family, they were from here in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. But we had never heard that was an underground song that didn't blow up, turn into a break beat. So to, to, to you know, be more succinct with answering your question, as far as the industry side of it, Rapper's Delight was the big bang. That was the thing. Even New Yorkers who didn't like them will say, that was that made me want to rap or that made me uh know that I could do it because you know these guys went on the soul train and they went on to American Bandstand and they did uh you know they did some pretty big things and they followed up with Eighth Wonder and Apache and a couple songs that were respected enough and, and big enough where when our parents and Don Cornelius and everybody was saying it'll never last, you know, it kept going and it morphed into, you know, what what it morphed into. But that's a very important record because. You know, it's easy to say, well, if they didn't do it, somebody else would have done it. I don't really follow that line of thinking because many others tried to do it. Like I said, there were 20 records that year. And the one that caught on and really gave birth to the industry was Rapper's Delight, you know, uh, despite what people may think of, of of the group. And I'm actually friends with Wonder Mike and, and Master T, you know, to this day. I'm, you know, I'm associates, friends with them. And um, and even the band and some of the people at the label, because I'm just, you know, again, as a kid, I was very, and as you saw in the video, I wanted to know everything about this. Record. You know, what, how are they doing it? You know what? You know, I, I wanted to rap 
the minute I heard, because I used to write poetry, like a lot of MCs, I used to be good at poetry. Mm -hmm. So when they're putting it to music, I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can do what they do. So it's, 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 it's one of the most important rap records ever, along with their label mates, Grandmaster Flash and Imperious Five, when they did the message three years later, two years later, prior to second most important rap record ever. You know, extremely important. And those guys are still, you know, one of the biggest touring, uh, first not first generation, but early rap groups. Um, they, th those guys still do a lot of shows because that their record has universal feel. Yeah, yeah. What about you, culture? What does that song stand for for you? Like, is that what kind of started it out for you? Like, okay, this might be something I might want to do. Yeah, rappers delight. Like he said, was one of the first songs I heard on the radio being played like it was. I can remember the first time I heard it, where I was at, in Trenton, what I was doing. Um, and when we heard it over the radio, it's just like, we just heard us, you know, something that wasn't super polished up before it got on the radio. The funk, just the funky sound of the beat. You know, and it's just first words. What you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the B, you know, because usually when you, when you heard that, you like you, you only heard it in the clubs. Mm -hmm. Like you had to be old enough to go to the fever and all these other places that your uncles and your aunts was talking about to really see rapping or, you know, to hear it because it was such an underground art form. Uh, but when Sugar Hill Gang came out, it was like the perfect blend. You know, it wasn't too dirty or too clean, you know, and uh, just they were speaking in a language that I can both understand and accept, you know, at the time. So it was like, you know, the language they were using, you know, have you ever been over a friend's house to eat in the food just ain't no good? I mean, the macaroni soggy, the peas all mush and the chicken it tastes like what? <laughs> you know, so it was just it's funny. And you yeah. know, the, you know, it was just everything. I guess by now you could take a hunch and find that I am the baby of the bunch, but that's okay. I mean, it was just their camaraderie. You know, you can hear almost, and even if they wasn't like the best of friends, it just reminded you of you and your friends and your experience and talking from a place that, like I said, you can understand and accept and sing along with, you know, um, and, and you didn't have to have like a great singing voice to do it because a lot of people wouldn't sing in front of other folks. They liked songs, but they wouldn't sing in front of other folks, but they would rap a song. You know, and I think that's the other thing that you could just, you know, just subconsciously, we just took to it, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, Rapper's Delight was one of those records. And like all the history he was talking about, like, you know, we didn't even know that, you um, your man um uh hemp the dimp you know the ladies pimp <laughs> you know right right uh, we didn't even we didn't even know that uh that was grandmaster Kaz's lyrics that's right you know that he was he borrowed those lyrics from grandmaster Kaz. you know that's right and uh my my early rap name was Kazzy k you know <laughs> after grandmaster Kaz, you know um because uh one of my friends named ali uh, from the project I was living in, you know, I was doing a beatbox for them, and uh, he gave me that name, Kazzy K. So before, before that was like my first rap name, and um, you know, it would we we you know we had underground mixtapes that we would get from Forty Second Street or One Hundred and Twenty Fifth in Lenox in Harlem, 
you know, so we was hearing a lot of stuff, underground tapes from block parties and stuff like that we would have be listening to uh, with Curtis Blow on it and the Furious Five, the Funky Four plus one more and all of that. And then when Wild Style came out, I mean, we, we got a chance to actually see these artists and they was like superstars to us. Mm-hmm. And then we got it, you know, we got a we got an inside look on, you know, what the whole rap scene looked like, you know, up New York. But, you know, like you said, we had our own flavor. But the Sugar Hill Gang, I mean, they are a part of the induction. Uh, well, uh, Master G, you know, he's a part of uh, a part of the National Hip Hop Museum. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, he and, and so, I mean, who would have thought? Who would have thunk it that, you know, I was rapping their songs as a kid and then one day we would get inducted by by somebody from that group. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like he said, I think some things are just meant to be. Mm-hmm. It just happens that way. I mean, I'm, the second group that had a huge impact on me was uh, Run DMC. I don't think they get enough credit because they were looked upon as the same way as like the Sugar Hill Gang, you know. You, know, you always got those folks that be like, man, we the real thing. And that right there is it's all right, but it's not really, mm-hmm. you know, this, you know, and uh, that's, I think that's part of the reason Run DMC, but Run DMC also helped to take the art form all around the world and expose so many people. To me, they're the greatest rap group ever. You know what I mean? They don't get mentioned in that vein. And I know a lot of people would say a lot of the, the more modern groups, but without Run DMC, as well, you know, taking it the way they did. I mean, you know, they declared when 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 Run said no curls, no waves, PZ heads still get paid. You know, it was like for all you sucky MCs perpetrating the fraud. Just my favorite all time video is Rockbox. Mm. I mean, because to me, they were the introduction to the the video. They brought hip hop to MTV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You know, uh, you know, and, and no, you know, and Grandmaster Flash, the Furious Fire with the message, that was just that was we heard when we heard that, like the subject matter, you know, like conscious rap. You know what I mean? To me, that was like, you know, just it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under broken glass everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just the first words, like to me, you know, is the when just the first word, you right. know, just the first words that come out of your mouth, and you like broken glass. Because you know, um, going back to my brother, you know, DJ, yeah. you know, Flash was everything, you know, yeah. and going back to that era, you know, um, he's told the story about how he was introduced to. Mm-hmm. And you know, and everything from going up to New York visiting family, and uh, you know, so Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five is you know is directly the responsibility of of a DJ Ready Red than mm-hmm. Ghetto Boys, but uh, it was crazy because he used to play that song so much that you know it was like I would go to sleep to it. You know, mm-hmm. we grew up out Western on. Mm-hmm. The first time I ever went to a projects, I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. The first time I'm walking in the hallway or going up the stairs, 
I was like, yo, like, how did they know what this place smells like? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just hearing a song like The Message, it painted this picture that even growing up out West Side and never having that experience, when I did start getting older and seeing these things that Melly Mel was talking about in the song, I'm like, yo, like, that's crazy, you know? And um, even to the um, extent of just how this culture, we, we didn't maybe really think that it was gonna go as far as Biggie said, you know, and because and, um, you was even making a comment about how it was like, you know, parodies, you know, growing up in Trenton, being in between Philly and Newark and New York and, you know, and everything, we, I primarily grew up listening to Power 99. So Lady B was like, you know, big thing for me. You know, wake up every morning, you hearing the rap and dupe, you know what I mean? And so like, even when Biggie did that song, it's like, like, yeah, like I remember all this stuff. Like, this is what we kind of did. So, you know, it's, um, it's just funny how we can now look back, you know, and even with coming up with the idea for this topic, I called it, you know, live from the barbecue because of the song. And mm -hmm. that was our first introduction to who we would now know as Nas and what he has done in the industry. And now with Mass Appeal, yep. there's so many different areas that hip hop has allowed people to go into that is beyond just being an artist, but creating these communication media companies, um, you know, going into IT, like so many different things, because I'm pretty sure that there's a lot of DJs and artists and like even, um, you know, going back to the B-boys and B-girls and like it allowed them in spaces that made them think that they could do even more. And if yeah. not for hip hop, maybe we would not see them in those spaces. So I think that's, yeah. you know, one of the dopest things about hip hop. Certainly. If I could, can I interject real quick? Yeah. I, I want to piggyback off something you said real quick. So I'm, so I'm doing a documentary about the message. That was a song that really affected me. And a, a lot of people don't don't notice. Some people do, but to the degree, like, so the other writer, only two people wrote on the message. It was uh, Duke Booty, a.k.a. F. Fletcher, who died two years ago. And then, of course, Belly Man. But Fletcher was from, I believe, Elizabeth, Jersey, uh, Duke Booty. Um, I spent the last year of his life, I spent with him doing Zoom calls. The pandemic was really heavy back then. I was doing a documentary on the Sugar Hill Band, which he was a part of. He played percussion on Apache and Ape Wonder and all of those songs. So he wrote everything. A lot of people don't realize this. Everything on the message he wrote except the last verse. But, uh, a child is born with no state of mind. Mel had wrote that for Super Rapping, which came out two years before. But Every other word is like a jungle, all of that. So the, the whole um, broken glass everywhere, he told me he was sitting in his mother's basement in, in Elizabeth, I'm pretty sure it was Elizabeth, New Jersey. And he said you could hear, you know, a car ride by, you hear glass breaking or whatever. And that's what prompted him to write that. So one of the reasons that you may say, oh, he's talking about here. I don't know how far it is from Elizabeth to where you got it. But it's just that the, the imagery was so... Um you know, real that, mm -hmm. you know, no matter where you live, whether it was right. Jersey, certainly, wherever, certainly. like certainly. you have had this experience in some form or not. And even 
to the degree, um, you know, the message to me was like the first conversation about mental health that we've ever had on record. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, because what? It's like literally like someone talking about trying to keep their self, you know, right. Why they're yeah, going he said, uh, sometime I think I'm going in saying I swear I might hijack a plane. You know, he's not playing around. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's mm -hmm. still like, it's still relevant. It, I mean, it's like the beat, the, the lyrics, all of yeah, it. Everything. Still so everything. Relevant. And um, this was the crazy thing. And I, I was very grateful that, you know, I, I had the chance to um, tell Mel um, after my brother passed um, and also Raheem when he came for the workshop that, um, you know, the day that we got the jersey and I went to my cousin's house to pick up my brother's truck, you know, I'm my sister and my nephew and my daughter and my cousin are all talking and I walk over to the truck, I turn it on and that song just started blasting. And I just lost it. Like, you know, it, it was it was just a, a crazy moment, you know. He was a huge fan of that group. I, you know, as I told you before, I remember, I, you know, I had a poster. Yeah. And, you know, that from, from on my wall, he wanted one. I found it and sent it to him. But we shared, you know, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five stories because he's he was the only, one of the only other people that was obsessed as obsessed or influenced by that group as I was. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. one of our common links. We and him had a lot of conversations, but we, mm -hmm. we were talking about the greatness of that group. And yeah. back, I remember telling me that his parents didn't necessarily love rap music, but when he brought that album home, the full album with, with the message and the other songs, because they had some songs where they were actually singing on it, it was actual R&B, that, you know, his parents were a little, a little more accepting because, like, okay, we can get with this. Mm -hmm. But... That was a pivotal group in, in his coming up, just like mine. And he uh, he was definitely uh, we talked about that group a lot. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. And I I now have that poster. So do do you have that the jean jacket your your brother had? Oh no, you talking about the leather jacket? The leather jacket, yeah, the leather jacket. No, that kind of I think that got lost in um you know when he first moved to um Texas. You know, mm -hmm. he had it for a very long time, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well, Red was like... The street had made it for him. Yeah, he was like the Grandmaster Flash to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the guy I knew because he was one of the reasons why I went to the skating rink all the time. And I remember when he like did his whole farewell thing, when he stopped DJing there, and I was like, man, what is going to happen? Like, what is it going to sound like in here? I just remember how sad I was when he when he left, you know what I mean? Because he was such a staple in that place. And I heard all the dope stuff, like Red would play all the stuff. I remember the battles he had with Ramsey, him cutting with handcuffs on the whole nine yards. I mean, you would be skating and you come by, you see Red up in there doing his thing. And he was like, you know, he was big time. You know what I mean? He was like a celebrity to us. You know, and I just remember the impact that that Red, I would always be grateful to Red for, you know, what he did there because he he helped bring the culture to Trenton. He was a very big part of the culture in Trenton. And, uh, you know, I was proud of him when he, you know, when he was leaving to kind of do his thing. But I was also sad at the same time because the music there never was the same. You know, and he definitely made an impact. I mean, he had the, the coveted job in the city. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, to be the one to DJ every weekend at the Capitol skating ring was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people was hating on Red Low Key. You know, a lot of DJs, you know, they might not admit it, but he had the, the job. I mean, because that was the place that, you know, people were going to gather. And then I think the last hour of every, you know, every Saturday night after we got finished skating, everybody would take off their skates and start dancing and break dancing. And, you know, when he joined up with Johnny C and, and all of them, I mean, Rod D, I mean, it, it was just, it, it was phenomenal. And I was a part of the God Squad. So we was like uh-huh. rival groups. Yeah, you know what I mean. Back then, you know, we when they were a part of our competition, you know, and I I was just doing a beatbox, but you know when it was him, I believe it was him, Johnny C, and another brother named uh, Rod D. I yep. believe Rod D was like one of the coldest poppers like ever. Like I don't even know where he at, but he was just like you know, and they were a few years older than me, but I was like, man, you know, it it was it, it, it was it was real dope, man. And uh, Red definitely made his mark, and him and so many others. I mean, that was older than uh, me and Wise that we kind of looked up to. Mm-hmm. Omar, superstar, General Lee, uh, a Diamond D. Uh, it was so many, so many other rappers in the area that was just dope, dope. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, grateful to even know Red, have known Red or just to see him play because he was, I mean, he was definitely dope, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, yeah, man, him, Smokey, the whole scene, you know, was just, once again, it's just, when I think, when I think back on it, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, you know, you didn't even realize what was happening at the time, but it was just, it was so dope, man. And uh, Red is definitely, I mean, definitely Red's death story should definitely be told and never be forgotten. I'm doing my best to, you know, kind of make sure that happens. And also, I think it's important because, like you were saying, you know, in Trenton during that time, you know, when he was DJing at the Capitol and then at the Boys Club, mm-hmm. Lawrence party. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then he left got to Texas, you know, um, ended up becoming part of the Ghetto Boys, reached back home, brought Johnny C down there. And then mm-hmm. here down there and one of the first artists for Rap-A-Lot that was, you know, actually signed to a major labor label was Raheem the Vigilante, who's also mm-hmm. from our, you know what I mean? So it was like, yeah. Britain has a direct connection to Southern hip hop through- oh, yeah. God. Oh yeah, and um and it, and it's just I I not sure how m- much people really truly understand that you know, but it's for mm-hmm. us as um you know for our city for us to make sure that that legacy is continued because you know the people from Houston have been great the way that they accepted you know all of those guys is amazing, but mm-hmm. we also have to accept that because I think that sometimes. Um, from our hometown, if if it wasn't done there, then it didn't happen. Almost, yeah. It seems like, yeah. Um, and so that's important, and it's also kind of funny because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but you know the whole roller skating thing is like making a big comeback right now. Oh yeah, back. back. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh, we're 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 kind of you know behind the scenes talking about making something happen for you know mm-hmm. end of the summer, going back home and doing like. Some something so 
Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's incredible just how, you know, as the brother said earlier, everything happened for a reason. And he was saying that when you're doing something, you don't know what you like, even with my group, yeah, I document everybody else's stuff, but you know, what when we were doing stuff and you know, making records. Mm-hmm. I wasn't documenting. We were having a good time. We were in high school. Yeah. I, just, I wanted to hear myself on the radio. That was my main goal. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't thinking about, you know, okay, let me record the fact that we're doing this right now because we're actually mm-hmm. living it and doing it. Mm-hmm. But as far as Red, I'll never forget, uh, you know, the brother was talking about no, the first time he heard Run DMC, he knew who where he was and who he's with. Same with me, but the first time, I, I never heard the Ghetto Boys. I was in a record store and I saw that album. Never heard of him. Never heard of rap a lot. I would, I would always buy music based on the cover and things about it. I was like, okay, this this is probably pretty dope. I get it, take it home, and I hear balls in my word. You know, you got Scarface on top of an 808 beat. Never knowing I, would, I might meet this brother one day. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, as soon as the internet gets popular, he, you know, he tells me, "Hey man, I'm ready for the Ghetto Boys. I come to your website all the time." He tells me a story about how at one point he was homeless. He used to go to the mm-hmm. library. Mm-hmm. He would go to the library every day and read my website. Wow. And that's how we, we started connecting. And I'm like, wow, wow, man, you know, when I was in like the 11th grade, you know, I bought your record. I would have never known he was from New Jersey. I thought all those guys were from Houston. I bought Raheem mm-hmm. Vigilante's record. I would have had no idea that those guys mm-hmm. weren't from football. So <laughs> that was absolutely mind blowing to me. It's, you know, it's a small mm-hmm. world. The fact that I would, you know, uh, develop a, a friendship with that brother and even Paul Rogers teacher, I remember the first time I saw the video of Rock This Funky Joint. That was my introduction to, to PRT. Um, never would have thought that I would work for a museum or, you know, have a, a, a hand in inducting those brothers or that be mm-hmm. on any kind of, you know, it, it's, 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 it's crazy how things happen. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it also yeah. how small our community is because yes. and why it's important to even have these conversations because now we are documenting, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. When I tell people that that red was from Trenton or whatever, they they always what? You know, right. I was like, you're just claiming stuff now. I'm right. like, no, I'm not, man. And the funny thing about it is, is that we eventually ended up touring with the Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. That that that's I mean, just like you said, stuff just happens. I don't like. I'm like, are we out on the road? It's like, who's out here red? And I'm like, wow, boom! Like, how did this happen? You know, like when Wise battled Jay Z, and then we ended up seeing them out on the road. Like we, we nobody was signed. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody had a deal. Nobody was signed. But then eventually we meet back up, and like we're we have records out now, and it's like, yo, this is great. But you know, who would have knew? Who would have thunk it? Who would have dreamed it? You know, I was right. just talking to this guy, and I was like, man, I, you know, I'm just grateful. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't, you know, I'm like ego whatever i'm just grateful because i couldn't have, i couldn't have wrote this out you know and just meeting a brother like in vermont you know going out in wilmington vermont man i worked for a company where you know a situation happened and the lady was from vermont i ended up getting let go by a company over some nonsense right and i this is like only a second time i've told this this story and the company that the lady worked for, you know, she lived in Vermont. So she would come up and like, you know, give me this long story. So we went through this whole thing with her and eventually we just parted ways. I parted ways with the company. Right. So I'm going to tell you how God works. We end up getting inducted 
in Vermont, where the lady was from, and she raced sailboats. Okay, so we had the the brunch stuff down on the dock. Oh man, and her boat was probably somewhere out there. I, I'm like, man, wait a minute. I'm like, listen, maybe the lady knew the people from the 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 museum or something like this. This can't, stuff like this just don't happen like this. But you know. God has a way of working stuff out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and people will say, well, you know, why y'all didn't have the induction in New Jersey or have it over here? Why? Well, I said, listen, these guys wanted to induct. I, you don't tell people what to do when they're honoring you. <laughs> you know, you don't be like, hey, dude, do this, do that. Yeah. I mean, you're just grateful, right? That people appreciate your work and they want to, you know, they want to acknowledge it. You know what I mean? But it it's was just so. Why y'all didn't have it in New Jersey? Why didn't Jersey induct y'all yet? You know, yeah, are there. So you know that that that's a question to be you know something to be you know once again, you know I I, I appreciate those who appreciate me, and I respect the fact that you know people took out their time out to just do something for us, you know because you know that's just what it is, but. You know, that story, I don't often tell that part of it, but <laughs> that for me, that's just my own thing with how God works. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because you you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know. And I had met uh, the brother Jeremy through another person, through uh, La, uh, Lacrita, Creed. or Linus right. Roars. Mm -hmm. Linus Roars, right. And, mm -hmm. and through uh, Geechee Dan. You know, she introduced right. me to Geechee Dan and then Geechee introduced me to, you know, Jeremy Beaver and everybody over there. And it was just, you know, the chemistry was there, man. Just a great group of individuals, man. The whole team is awesome. They work well together and it's it's, it's a blessed thing, you know, and um, it's just dope, man. You know, this this is it's, 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 it's a dope culture that we're a part of. It definitely really? is. It definitely is. And, you mentioned Philly. I mean, I just, all the artists from Philly, I mean, a lot of the records were pressed in Philly. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't know. I mean, the culture started in New York, but a lot of the records that were being pressed was coming out of Philly, you know? And uh, I tell people that all the time. You know, a lot of the, the yeah. first Molly, uh, Molly Maul records was on Pop Art. And Pop yeah. Art was the Philly label. You know, Craig G., uh, Molly's first stuff, MC Shan, uh, they were they were working um out of out of uh, Philly, and like I said, you know, Jersey played a big role because you know despite what people think about Sugar Hill, you know that stuff was, but from from seventy nine to eighty four, that's where the majority. If you went to the store to get a rap record, you was getting it from a, them records was pressed up in Inglewood, you know. So uh, exactly. crazy, Inglewood, definitely, you know, definitely, and uh, you know like. Even like the project I grew up in, you know, which was Dolly Home Project, which we called Divine Land. A lot of people don't know that Raza Don, who played the drums for Arrested Development, was from that same project. You know, and uh, his his wife, who sung a penny with a hole in it, mm. you know, was from Trenton, you, you wow. know. So, I mean, it's there was a lot of artists that came out of that area, which, you know, people don't people don't know about. But New Jersey put out a lot of lot of music, you know, yeah. and uh, it's it's good that somebody's documenting. Like I said, these stories are being told, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, 
we, you know, we, we gotta do more to make sure people understand the rich culture mm -hmm. that we have. Cause it you also know. brings pride, you know, yeah. um, for me growing up in Trenton. And like I said, I was a, you know, young teenager or whatever. And, um, you know, going out or whatever, hanging out with friends. It was like, it really meant something hearing you guys and, and like mm -hmm. I said, hearing suicide and everybody in it, you know, yeah. it um, was like, wow, like this is, you know, dope. Like, you know, the music was, you know, it wasn't like just, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's just dumb. Mm -hmm. But no, this, this was cool. You know, um, we had some dope DJs coming from out of, you know, Jersey, you know, everything mm -hmm. that Juice did. Juice. Oh yeah. You know, I grew up when, you know, we, when we moved to Center Street by that point, you know, um, it was getting close to the time when my brother was about to go to Texas, but I remember Juice coming to the house and, you know, being one of the other ones, you know, kind of learning from my brother how to spin and, you know, and different stuff like that. So it's, um, you know, it was just, it was just a sense of pride that it gave me. And, um, you know, and I think that sometimes that if we don't talk about you know, these things and, and, and allow for the, the, you know, younger generations to see what really came out of Trenton, you know, Sarah Dash and Nona Hendrix, like these people that was part of the labels that it, it wasn't just Patty. We had two Trenton natives in that, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? That, and I think those things are important. And those are the things that, um, you know, kind of help the next generation realize like, yo, like, if he could do it, I could do it too, you know? Yeah, like Instant Funk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instant Funk, you know, uh, Raymond Earl and all those guys. I got my mind made up. Come on. You can get it. Get it, girl. My brother's joint. Anytime. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Raymond Earl, we used to go down his basement and, you know, he would educate us on how to record mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And we actually, I actually recorded a couple songs down there in his basement. He would, you know, share with us. He'd just be looking at us laughing. You know, I'm like, you know, the hip hop generation is in, you know, in his house doing stuff, you know, like little knuckleheads, you know, but he was, you know, he was working with us. So, you know, instant funk and, and, and a lot of, a lot of that stuff, man. I mean, you know, and we did a lot of shows in Virginia and in that area, DC area, I mean, oh, yeah. DC with the black hole and all of that stuff, you know, we performed there and the whole go-go scene and all yep. that stuff, and Howard University. I mean, oh, yeah. we used to love going down that way. I mean, we got a lot of love from, from Virginia, and a lot yeah. of people from Trenton went to school in Virginia. You know, Norfolk State. Yeah, Virginia that. My State, brother, State. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, my brother, yeah, uh -huh. my older brother is a graduate of Hampton University. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. know, so, you know, a lot of folks from Trenton. So we, we always had that connection, you know, Trenton and Philly and the whole thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Baltimore right. can't forget be more, yeah. you know. So yeah, so and then the whole tri-state area, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that music was, you know, getting around all over there. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was. Yeah, um, so that's just super dope, man. So and uh, yeah, go ahead. Um, you know, as far as kind of taking it back to the food aspect of it. Right. Um, how do you think that, especially like for our generation, you know, we're seeing hip hop is turning 50. So, of course, 
a lot of the artists are 50 and above, you know. Yeah. And um and uh Jaquan, we have talked about having to change our diets due to mm -hmm. you know things that come with older age. So how do you think that, you know, like within this community, we can um have those type of conversations or even just within the music talking about, you know, um being able to like, you know, eat to live, you know, and mm -hmm. like you were talking about um culture that, you know, um that, you know, how food is medicine and mm -hmm. making sure that um, you know, we kind of get to back to that space of, you know, cooking at home. And I mean, like, you know, I've seen, you know, the stuff that you have shown on your social media is beautiful, mm -hmm. you know, but all of our plates don't look like that culture. So how can we <laughs> <laughs> get to that point, you know, so that we can get back to making sure that, you know, we're, we're being mindful of what we're eating and, you know, watching our cholesterol and all that fun stuff that we're now looking at. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, Karis one used to have a song about eating pork and beef and uh, things like that. I think just, you know, us as a people in our culture, you know, coming out of the condition that we came out of with slavery and all those things, a lot of the things that we call soul food was basically us just making do with what we had, mm -hmm. you know, from the scraps and things like that. I mean, you know, the things like chitlins, hog mog, souse, uh, hog head cheese, uh, you know, uh, hog malls, and all of these other things, pigs feed, collard greens. <laughs> I mean, a lot of these things came from us just making do with what we had. And, you know, it also had things to do with living in food deserts. You know, or, you know, where we couldn't, we didn't have access to fresh vegetables and things of that nature. So I think, you know, we just have to insert it into the culture, right? And that's what we was doing in, uh, you know, the mid 80s, early 90s in the music is we was having those discussions about, you know, eating properly and all of that. You must learn. I mean, just to make the title of the songs back then and then uh you know the five percent brought the whole thing in with the whole not eating pork and then chuck d i mean public enemy um you know we we just you know we have to start putting it back in the culture we have to start expanding our minds and the diversity in hip-hop needs to change you know so we can have those kind of conversations because it was about informing ourselves on you know uh good things to read you know, good places to travel, uh, things where, you know, we could prosper, you know, not just financially, but health-wise as well. It was about just a well-rounded type of, uh, you know, thing, you know, um, like when we and, we, and we could challenge each other on these topics too. Like when Run DMC said, I'm light-skinned, I live in Queens, I love eating chicken and collard greens, you know, and, uh, KRS said a lot of people be talking and talking, trying to show how black people are walking, but I don't walk this way to portray or reinforce stereotypes of today. Like all my people eat chicken and watermelon, talk broken English and drug selling. You know, he we could we could challenge that thought in that way of life without people getting offended, right? 
we could talk about those things. I just think that um, we have to meet people where they are on the internet. I mean, there's a lot of people on the internet now that's like the whole vegan thing and the pescatarian thing and exploring ways to, you know, eat healthy, but making the food more delicious. And then you got people who are challenged the whole vegetarian thing and say, well, you know, I don't know if eating soy is good for you or eating, you know, uh, you know, uh, tofu and all these things. But I just think the more we expose people through, through film, through music, uh, through various art forms, through books, um, you know, and we get out here and we do like we're doing now that people can be more educated on those things. I know for, for me, and I'm just speaking for myself, I really didn't have to deal with high blood pressure, you know, or a diabetes and things like that. And I just eating in moderation, you know, I have my sweets and things like that, but I think from cutting out a lot of red meat and things like that, it, it allowed me to stay healthy a lot longer. You know, but like you said, you know, along with age, they, 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 it comes with other things. Mm -hmm. And I just think like, you know, um, if you already have these good eating habits, then then you already, it, it'll help, you know, but you have to train yourself. Like I said, you know, my mother, she was a big on eating green vegetables and doing stuff like that. We had to eat a balanced meal. You know, and if, and if if you didn't eat, then you didn't eat, <laughs> you know, that's it. You know, it's like, listen, you're going to clean your plate. You're going to eat what I put in front of you. And I think there's some things that fundamentally as a culture we've gotten away from. Yeah. Right. Because with more access, we, you know, we have more access to different things. And now people are eating over here. Everybody's a foodie. So, you know. <laughs> We started eating everything, you know, we going out to different restaurants, you know, there's a lot more money in our community and, uh, you know, but there's a lot more money leaving our community, but we'll save that for another conversation. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're exploring a lot of different things. And I just think that exposure is key, you know, exposing our people to different things and, uh, just, just, just better ways to eat, yeah. you know, um, and that's what, uh, you know, I'm trying to do with some of my dishes is just just refine them a little bit, because I know like macaroni and cheese, we love macaroni and cheese. But, you know, just in moderation in different ways to to make it flavorful without just chucking it full of a bunch of cheese or way to make greens. We love eating greens. We love eating cabbage and all that. But ways to flavor it to where we don't have to put a whole bunch of salt and things like that in it. So it's just introducing these different techniques and things that uh and that's what you know when i'm we're starting our first food truck uh here it will actually this month we'll be launching our, our food trailer and we're going to try to introduce some of those things to the public and to the culture you know on just different way things that we can eat and um you know try to you know i use the term hip-hop's top chef because food has always been a part of it mm -hmm. You know, when you pulled up to watch 106 in Park and you pulled up to watch BET or whatever, you know, you was eating on something. You weren't just sitting there. You know, we had our favorite candy that we like, you know, eating eating a lot of, a lot of us came up eating a lot of Now Layers and Jolly Ranchers and, Chico you, know, sticks. <laughs> you know, little hub juices. I mean, you know, but we didn't realize then, you know, those dental bills was going to add up later. On, you know, Boston baked beans, lemon heads. I mean, but, you know, we grew up eating all that and consuming all of that sugar 
you know, and, uh, you know, now we just have the chance, you know, to just look back and say, okay, maybe, you know, those five packs and now layers weren't cool, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's a part of learning, you know, it's just a part of that. So we just try to do better and try to do better by our, our children. Yeah. You know, um, I raised my kids as pescatarian. My whole house was eating the same way. But now my, my daughter, she she eats some chicken, a few other things. And uh, my son is still holding 100% to the diet. But, uh, or should I say, the 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 way of life. And, um, you know, I mean, we just got to, we just got to get away from just one thing. Right. Because, you know, KRS would say this, Slick Rick would say that, Chuck D would say this, LL Cool J would say that, and everybody had their own flavor, their own style, and everybody added to the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, I think we need to hear a full range of participants in the conversation, and we need to get away from this one voice that we've been hearing for so long. Mm -hmm. I think it's time we, we open the dialogue up to everyone again. Mm. Right. And we, we got to take the culture back, you know, and uh, the only way to do it is for us to just keep having these conversations and keep showing the significance of it. Because you had your Melly Mel, you had your Run DMC, you had your Sugar Hill Gang, you know, you had your Grandmaster Cats back then. And then on our generation, you had so many different styles and lyrics and, and people could just express themselves in different ways. We, we need to get back to that so bad, mm -hmm. you know, so bad that being different is cool. Yeah. You know, being different is, is, is cool. You know, everybody doing the same thing, looking the same way, you know, and, and I, I always try to speak positive of our young people, mm -hmm. you know, because I don't want it to be a us against them type of thing. Right. You know, but we do need to, you know, people need to be able to be free to express themselves. You know, our brothers in the South, I love, we love their music. Outcast, you know, all these guys, man, they brought a whole, that's like our cousins from down South, you know, they bring a whole nother kind of flavor. In a whole you know, our brothers from the Midwest, they have a whole different, brothers from the West, up North, all over. You know, we, we need that diversity back in hip hop, man. Cause that's what, that's part of what made it so special. Mm -hmm. Uh, building on what, what the brother said, um, we got to make it cool again. You know, it's like, you know, anytime, you know, sometimes you got to, I forgot exactly what the saying is, but you got to sneak the medicine to people, you know, and, you know, it was a very good example he used of uh, the beef song with KRS and the many songs that KRS and other, you know, the X Clan and Four Rights to Teach this King Son, you know, 5% was definitely, I mean, that, you know, the 5%, you know, me being introduced to 5% Brother 85 was the reason. That you know, by by ninety, I wasn't talking. I changed my whole thing around, mm -hmm. but it had to be made cool, you know. Yeah. And it, you know, the MCs were already cool. And if enough cat, you know, if cats can say it's food and drink cough syrup, even if you die from it, and can, you know, they, if that can be cool in the culture, or if it can be cool to not wear those shoestrings, or whatever we made cool, we gotta especially for all, we gotta make it cool to. Hey, look, you know, maybe we will need to eat this many times a day or eat this particular thing, or maybe everything should be in moderation. Or as you talked about um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, hey, 50 years old, let me go get my, my, my checkup and let me let me follow up on this. We got to make it. It's got to be cool in the culture. We can make it cool and then it catches on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am so grateful 
that you guys joined me today. I knew it was going to be a great conversation. Certainly. Um, you know, and, and I'm so appreciative of you giving up your time and your talents and, um, you know, culture. I, I am so excited to see what you guys are going to be doing with the food truck. You know, if um, let the people know how they can order products from you. And, um, you know, and then Jay, if you could tell them as well what you got coming up. Uh, if you want to order any of the barbecue sauce, <laughs> or uh, just go to www.cult-freecollection.com and you can order yours today and you can get one of these hats as well. So just just stop by, man, and, and check me out. Or you can go to Hip Hop's Top Chef on Instagram or go to uh, Culture Freedom PRT on Facebook any one of those things, look me up, man. We can we can make it happen. And you can reach me on all social media, Jaquan. And um, you know, I write for Rock the Bells. You know, every day I got some kind of feature or news piece on rockthebells.com and continue my work with the uh with the museum. So yeah, definitely. Well, thank you again, fellas. This has truly been a great barbecue as we have shared yeah. different, you know, um conversations about so yes. many different things and you know and maybe we'll we'll kind of see that again in hip-hop as you know we keep growing and you know it's it's been really like a awakening i think too um recently so um thank sure. you guys for tuning in you know this and uh this is where you know hip-hop health and matters of the heart are in sync we appreciate you thank you All right peace Hello, little sister. How are you? Great proud of you and your accomplishments. Uh, love you. Take care.